Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Life Church in Perry, Georgia. Hey everybody, hope you're doing good today. Um, hope you're enjoying this fall weather. I had a couple cool nights, but uh, again, I, I enjoyed. I think I mentioned that last week. I just I love to see this uh, the change of the seasons, the uh, the trees and everything. They're so uh, they're so pretty out there, and uh, it's just uh, man, this is my favorite time of the year. I, I enjoy the not cold, not cold. I, I come from Michigan, so I don't want any snow or ice or freezing temperatures, but uh, cooler temperatures uh, sleep a little bit better. And so, uh, uh, yes, I enjoy it. I pray that you do also. Uh, we're so glad that you tune in for our podcast. Pray that they're a blessing to you and that you're getting something out of them. Um, I, I, you know, I'm a student. I, I, I probably will always be a student. Um, I had a passion when I got saved. God put in me a passion to read. I never liked to read when I was uh, in high school, but uh, when I became a Christian, I just I got a hunger to read, to study, to to learn more. Um, I went back to school uh, several years ago. I don't know how long it's been now, probably three or four years ago. And uh, I'm actually working on trying to get my master's degree in biblical studies. And so I just, I love to learn and um, just just grow in knowledge. I think that's something we need to do. And so that's why uh, this breaking down of Romans is, is really, I hope it's beneficial to you. I hope you're learning something from it. I was talking to one of the ladies in our church the other day because I made the statement um, that, you know, I've been teaching on this for a few months. She said, Pastor, you've been teaching on this since March. And uh, so I apologize. I did not know that it's been that long that we've been teaching on this. But again, I I pray that you're getting something from it. So um, today, let's jump into Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. We're going to try to cover the first 10 verses in Romans chapter 11 today. Uh, The first 10 verses really talks about Israel's destiny. Really, all all of Romans 11 has to deal with Israel's destiny. Um, In Romans chapter 9, Paul emphasized God's sovereignty in choosing Israel to be his people. Uh, In Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul pointed out that Israel had consistently been reluctant to accept God's gift of righteousness by faith. Uh, Of course, they want His righteousness. Of course, they think they deserve His righteousness. They think that because they are grafted in because of Abraham, because of uh, circumcision, because of the law, because of Moses... That, uh, that they're automatically in, that they're automatically righteous. Uh, but then we begin to see in chapter 10 also that uh, chapter 10 ended with this sobering charge uh, that Paul made to, the, to those Israelites, those Jewish people, the, the Hebrews that were in Rome in this church. And the, the, the charge was that Israel is a disobedient and obstinate people. They're a disobedient, obstinate people. They're wanting the righteousness of God, but they're wanting it by works. They're wanting it by by something that they have done instead of putting it in faith in what God has already done. So we have God's sovereign choice of Israel on one hand and Israel's obstinance on the other hand. Will God give up on Israel? I mean, that's the question. I think that's a question that a lot of people ask. Um, I think a lot of people have, have assumed that 
uh, there, there, I've heard people say that the, the United States of America, that maybe we kind of took over, uh, and, and that's not true. And other people say, well, no, it's, it's these other nations, and they've taken over, and, and none of that's true. God has not given up on Israel. Uh, God will find a way, despite Israel's disobedience, to preserve and enact His purpose. These are the questions that, that Paul addresses as we look at Romans chapter 11. Is, is, is How is God going to do all of this? How is God going to bring them back when they're disobedient, when they're obstinate, when they're, as Moses called them, a stiff-necked people? Well, let's get into Romans chapter 11 and we will see what all the Apostle Paul has to say to us. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse number 1 um, normally I don't do this, but again, I, and I want to say this, remember that Paul did not write this as a book with verses and chapters. Paul wrote this as a letter. It was not until the Bible was canonized was it then put into chapter and verses for us to easier understand. So the first passage I want to read is Romans chapter 11, verse 1, and part of verse 2. So I can make it make sense. So Romans chapter 11 verses 1 and 2a says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Paul, once again, as he has done many times, asks and answers his own question. God is concerned for His people. He will, he will see to it that the glorious promise in which the prophets spoke of concerning the children of Israel will come to complete fulfillment. The chosen people are only temporarily set aside. When, when, when the gathering of all believers takes place at the end of this age, the grace age, the church age, God will turn again to Israel and make good on His covenant promises. Uh, the solemn promises made to Abraham and to his seed regarding the Hebrew family and those God gave to David and his seed regarding the Hebrew royal family have not been canceled out. They, they have only been postponed. In this church age that we live in, the Jewish nation is blinded. Yet, individual Jews are being saved regularly, daily. There are many Jewish Christian churches out there today, and the number is growing all the time. We have missionaries right now. This church actually supports missionaries to Israel so that they're going in and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the, the, the Israeli people. Paul is determined to help the church in Rome rightly understand Israel's fall. He has determined to do so because of selfish desire uh, for his, not because of selfish desire rather, for his own peace, uh, though surely this was motivating factor, but, but rather Paul sought God's will and wanted to state it accurately. So when Paul says his people, he has in mind the remnant 
that God referred to, or that Paul referred to rather, in Romans chapter 9. If you remember in Romans chapter 9, verses 27 and 29, Paul quotes Isaiah and he says, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have become like Gomorrah. So though most Jews are disobedient throughout the Old Testament, as well as when Paul is teaching this to the church in Rome, God has not given up on his people. We remember that not only that we remember that not all rather who are descended from Israel are Israel. Romans 9 6 says, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Paul included himself in the discussion uh, for two reasons. One was to present himself as evidence that God had not rejected the Jews. If God would have rejected the Jews, then he would not have given the Apostle Paul such a prominent role in spreading the gospel. He, he spoke to Paul uh, when, when Paul had an encounter on the road to Damascus and, Paul, and God sent Ananias in to pray for Paul. He said that Paul was his chosen instrument. If God was going to eradicate the, the children of Israel, if he was going to do away with his promises and not honor his word, why would he have called Paul and given Paul such a prominent position in spreading the good news? news. Secondly, uh, we were, we're reminded that the Jews, um, that, that Paul is one of them and that there is therefore qualified to speak with fairness about their situation. Paul is a Jew himself. You know, I think of it this way. If, if, if you're struggling, maybe you struggle with alcoholism, maybe you struggle with drugs, maybe you struggled with pornography, maybe you struggled in some position, and now you're, 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 you've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but you're struggling with the fact, can God forgive me after all that I've done? Is it easier to sit down and talk to someone that's never went through those things and doesn't understand, or is it easier to sit down with someone that has went through of those things and they have a knowledge of what you've gone through because you see the fruit in their life. So Paul has, has the opportunity to share the good news with the Jewish people because he is one and he's went through these things himself. He was a Pharisee amongst Pharisees who was out there proclaiming the law and persecuting Christians before his encounter with Jesus. So he knows what to say to the children of Israel. Romans chapter 11 verses 2b through 4. Romans chapter 11 verses 2b through 4. Or do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah how he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Once again, 
the Apostle Paul takes his readers back to the Old Testament. In 1 Kings 19, we find the account of Elijah fleeing from Jezebel, who was the wife of King Ahab. Jezebel is a pagan woman and had been promoting Baal worship throughout all the land. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah had just finished uh, uh, and had a major victory on Mount Carmel against 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. When Ahab went and informed Jezebel of Elijah's uh, astounding victory, all that he did by killing these 850 false prophets, Jezebel turns around and sends a threatening letter to Elijah telling him that she would have his head on a platter in the next 24 hours. Think about this. Here Elijah is. He, he's, he's mocking these false prophets as they're trying to call on their God. He then calls on the one true God and God comes down and, and takes up the offering and licks up the water. Paul or Elijah then kills 850 false prophets. He then chases after Ahab in a chariot. All of these things that God does through Elijah, and yet Elijah gets this one letter from Jezebel, and it terrifies him. Elijah flees out into the desert south of where Sheba was to hide and pray. While he's there hiding, while he's there worrying about all these things, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 9, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. 1 Kings 19, 9 and 10, it says, And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Elijah was feeling like the battle was over, and he was the only faithful servant left in the land. But God informed him otherwise. In 1 Kings 19, 18, God speaks to Elijah and he says, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knee have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The 7,000 of Israel are the remnant. Paul brings up this Old Testament story as a way of saying God has always had a faithful remnant of Jews. Even though many are stiff-necked, even though many have, have refused God and refused to receive His righteousness and refused to make Jesus Lord of their life, there has always been a faithful remnant of Jews. It was true in the dark days of Elijah and it is true now. God has not and God will not reject Israel. Romans chapter 11, verse 5 and 6 says, Even so then, as this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is a no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. 
Now, we can rightly understand God's elective purposes when we understand that God is sovereign. We talked about this back in Romans 9. God is sovereign. We do not become part of God's remnant through our efforts. It is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. The larger lesson in this context is this. Since the remnant has been secured by the grace of God, the remnant stands as a pledge that God will continue to show favor toward Israel as a whole. Paul is reminding the children of Israel, those in the church in Rome that he's writing to, as well as the Gentiles that are in that church, that salvation has always been a matter of God's grace. Israel was called into existence by the grace of God. The church was called into existence by the grace of God. And the future heavenly reward of both Jews and Gentiles and the current church rests on the grace of God. In verse 6, Paul is clarifying his reference to a remnant chosen by grace. Grace and works are complete opposites. Much like oil and water, grace and works, due to their diverse characteristics, cannot be mixed. And when you do mix them, when you try to mix them, you spoil them both. You cannot mix grace and works. If you're trying to do it by works, then you have done away with grace. But if you understand that it's only by grace, then you understand you don't have to do it by works. A relationship with God must be on an individual basis, and that comes only by grace. The believing remnants were those according to the election of grace. Now, the Greek word election is a word that can also mean choosing or choice. It is the same term used in the gospel when Jesus is choosing the twelve. When, when Jesus was calling his disciples, he, he was choosing them. He was electing them. That an individual's election is not unconditionally secure is proven. It's seen in the fall of Judas. Jesus used the same term as applied to Judas as to the other eleven. In John chapter 6, verse 70, Jesus said, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? John chapter 15, verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. It was not by God's predestination, regardless of what others may say. However, God did foreknow. He does have foreknowledge, and we talked about that. But by His, by Judah's own choice, not God's predestination, but by Judah's own choice, He fell, therefore losing His election. I tell people all the time, the only difference between Judas and Peter, because both of them denied Christ. Peter is, is even said to be cursing when he lied that he knew Jesus. At least Judas said that he knew Jesus and that he believed that Jesus was the chosen when he took the money to go and, and, and turn Jesus over. Judas 
thought that if he turned Jesus over, that Jesus would rise up as the king that he is and destroy. That's why we hear how Judas tried to return the money and then later just throws the money down. Peter, on the other hand, Peter denies Christ, runs. He's nowhere to be found at the cross. He curses just as Jesus told him he would do before the rooster crowed. So the only difference between Judas and Peter is that Peter repented and went back to Jesus. Judas hung himself. It was not by predestination. It was not by any type of election. It was not by God's predestination, though he foreknew Judas's choice, but it was by his choosing, by his own will that he did these things. Acts 1.17 says, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Talking about Judas. And then in Acts chapter 1, verses 24 through 25, it says, And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his own place. Any chosen Jew or Gentile is the elect of God. All men are called to become God's elect or God's chosen ones. Each and every one of us are. Grace elects to save all who believe. Romans chapter 11 verse 7 says, What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear to this very day. Paul says that Israel sought God in a wrong way. Remember back in Romans 9.31, he says, But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Paul reminded us that Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, they did not seek God by faith. They were trying to pursue righteousness through the law. They were trying to pursue righteousness through works instead of receiving the grace of God by faith. Now we find out more about the consequences of those actions. See, in their vain attempt to establish their own adequacy, their own standing before God, they refused knowingly and unknowingly to receive the righteousness that comes from God. Rejection of God starts with one act, and then it snowballs from there. Each rejection of God afterward gets easier and easier and easier and the result was that God hardened the unbelieving Jews heart and he does the same for us there are people today that are Gentiles in this church age in the age of grace that have rejected God and once they reject God it becomes easier and easier and easier to reject God until God hardens their heart and even when we try to testify even when we try to witness to them they have their heart is so hard that they do not receive 
Romans chapter 11, verse 8 says, Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Those Jews who loved God, uh, those like Mary, the mother of Jesus, Joseph, the father of Jesus, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, Elizabeth, the, the mother of John the Baptist, Anna, the, the widow that was in the tip, temple, Simeon, the prophet that, that prophesied over Jesus in the temple, and, and there were many others that, that, that we could mention that were not blinded, but recognized that Jesus is, was the Savior. The reason that others did not is that they had willfully closed their eyes and ears to God's revelation so long that they became spiritually blind and deaf. I mentioned this last time about how it was, it was Gentile believers, it was not Jewish kings that brought gifts to Jesus. It was, it was others outside because the children of Israel became so blind to everything that Moses and the prophets talked about. This was foretold. This was spoken of as early as Moses in Deuteronomy 29.4, where it says, Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. This is Moses in Deuteronomy 29.4 prophesying of what would take place. Because even the children of Israel then became stiff-necked. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, and it says, And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return to be healed. Isaiah the prophet is even speaking, if you don't begin to recognize, if you don't begin to understand, if you do not open your eyes to see truth, if you do not open your ears to hear truth, what will then happen is this, is your heart will become hard and you will not be able to be healed. Jeremiah 5.21 says, Hear this now, O foolish people, with understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. That's why when I preach all the time and I pray, Lord, give them ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive, so that people sitting in church do not get offended, they do not take on a spirit of offense and let their heart get hard toward the things of God. Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 12:2, "Son of man, you do you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see but does not see and ears to hear but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house." Listen, I believe that there are some out there even in certain churches that that are rebellious to the things of God. In outlining this history, God said to the Jews, that they were to be scattered to all the corners of the world because they were blinded and had forsaken Him. Their apostasy and decline were clearly outlined by the prophets in the Old Testament. The Greeks of Paul's day were consumed with a passion for knowledge. The Romans in Paul's day lusted for power, but the Jews searched for righteousness but they did not find the righteousness they desired because they rejected the one and only one, Jesus, who could make them righteous. 
This rebellion against God resulted in their blindness, their spiritual blindness. The word blindness bears the meaning of hardened or calloused. Romans 11.9 says, And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. The reference to table is quoting from Psalm 69, 22-23, where it says, Let their table become a snare before them and their well-being a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and make their loins shake continually. See, David also anticipated the judgment of God on Israel, and he described the rejection of the Savior as calling on God to turn their table into a snare and a trap. The table means the sum total of privileges and blessings which followed through Christ. If you can imagine a banquet table full of food, and what happened was is under, instead of understanding the blessing that they had, instead of understanding that this table would always be full, provided for by God through Jesus Christ, they looked at the table as a one and done and they needed to get all that they could get. They tried to consume to the point of works, trying to store up for themselves to the point that they became sick and calloused. David also says in Psalm 23, 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. What should have been a blessing was turned into a curse. Romans chapter 11, verse 10 says, Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their their back always. The phrase bow down comes from a Greek word meaning to bend completely or bend together. The, the, the bowed back is a picture of servitude. The, the curse of anti-Semitism, which is the prejudice against Jews, has driven these Jews from land to land. The, the, the torture and suffering of many Jews has been almost unbelievable. We look throughout all of history. I mean, we can go back even to Hitler and we can go back to the Babylonians and back to, to the, to, to the, uh, the Sereni. I mean, just all these different, how, how long since, since the beginning of time have the Jewish people, because of their hardened heart, because of their rebellion, because they have turned from God, we have seen this, this continual, uh, um, curse almost that has been upon the Jews and how many have been killed and yet they are driven from land to land the torture and the suffering has been terrible the price has been has been better and will continue for ahead live the horrors of the great tribulation think about all the the the, the Jews that have died due to all of the beating and all of the the, the 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 death of trying to destroy that nation by people and yet it's going to continue along these lines until we get to the place of the great tribulation but the final agony will end because in that day not only the Jews but all shall look upon him whom they have pierced the Bible tells us in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 through 12, it says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me who they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his own son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning at Hadad Rimon. 
and the plain of Megiddo, and the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves. Because Zechariah mentions Megiddo, we understand that he's talking about the time of the great tribulation, the end of all time, and yet he's referring to the house of David, the children of Israel, and he says that God will pour out his spirit of grace and supplication, and those that once denied him, those that pierced him, will mourn. See, until the day, until that day, the blinded majority of Israel will continue with unseen eyes and bound backs as the prophets warned that they would. In chapter 11, the verse, first 10 verses that we just covered, this shows Israel's failure, but it's not complete. As we look next week, we'll go into verses 11 through 36, and we'll understand that even though their hearts are hard, their eyes are blind, their, 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 their ears are closed, their backs are bent. It is not permanent. God has a plan of restoration even for His cho chosen Israel. Father, I thank You again for this opportunity to share Your Word. And I thank You, Lord, for technology to be able to get this Word out. I thank you for scholars that have studied and that I can study behind them, Lord, and I can grasp this. And hopefully, Father, I can make it to where it's, it's palatable for those that are listening. Lord, I pray that you'd use this message to touch the hearts of many that think that they have done stuff that they'll never be forgiven for, whose hearts are hard and eyes have been blinded and ears have been deaf. But I pray, Lord God, that you would touch them right now and let them know that God has made a way even for them by grace you shall be saved if you'll call upon the name of the Lord. Father, we thank you and we praise you for all that you're doing in us, through us, and with us. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you don't have a home church, we would like for you to visit us here at Life Church 100 Todd Road in Perry, Georgia.